What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Also, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And you can always find us on our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today's guest is uh, just going to be so much fun. His name is Dan Delaney, and uh, he's got a bit of history with Jason. Um, He's a total rock. I'm going to just call him a total rock nerd, and I mean that in the most respectful way. Um, He is one of these guys that studies albums inside out, reads all the liner notes, knows the producers, knows the song sequence, can recite all the lyrics to any song you pick out of a hat. I mean, it's crazy. And he's got his own YouTube channel. And on that YouTube channel, he does album reviews and commentary. And it's really, really well done. He's a great Uh, uh, sort of like reference. He is. He's a walking rock library. He is, yes. And his, 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 his reviews are really well done. They're, you know, it's obvious that he's passionate about, um, hard rock and heavy metal. We need to change his name to Dewey Decibel. (laughs) Dewey Decibel system as opposed to the Dan Delaney system. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, uh, his YouTube channel, uh, we'll get into this during the episode, but he goes by Dan Bowski on yeah on one word YouTube. one yeah. word dan bowski yeah. so instead of uh searching for dan delaney and getting a million returns go directly to dan bowski yeah and look for a stop sign that says say yeah. no to drugs and yes, say to, yes tacos. to tacos yeah yes. <laughs> so that's another way you can find uh dan bowski uh aka dan delaney youtube channel now listen let's let's go ahead and reveal we talk about this in the episode but um, Dan actually wrote me a fan letter in the 90s. Right. And um, he was very articulate, and it made me... And I, I mean, I don't remember receiving fan mail that I decided I'm not writing them back because of something. They said. I tried to send everybody something, a postcard. Hey, thanks for writing. Well, this... I don't, I don't have the letter anymore, Dan still knowing dan he he has my he has the letter i i sent he, to him. he says so yeah yeah so so uh no surprise when you when you meet this, the guy this is the level we're talking about right yeah. so which is great um he exactly. uh he wrote me in the 90s and and it was he it was interesting and uh he was just a fan and he talked about how he loved uh dangerous toys it was pertaining to dangerous toys he got the address off the you know, of the of the record label off of the, what a novel idea, off the record. You know, you looked at the back yeah. of the record and found, oh, I'm going to write to this address, you know. Uh, can be done, ladies and gents. Uh, better than an email, I think. <laughs> it's more personal. It means that you care. Uh, yeah. And we just sort of became friends. Uh, and, uh, you know, long distance, we had never met. Uh, so it's going to be exciting to actually talk to him in real time. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a, you know, he, he we're going to get, he lives, he's from Toronto and he lives in Mexico and has been in Mexico for 15 years. So uh, it's almost like Talk Louder podcast got this exclusive on 
um, his uh, experience and opinions and uh, uh, shed light on a lot of interesting things that I didn't even realize were going to be interesting just about the concert life and the scene and and yeah. and on a daily basis there on the day of a big concert uh, yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about that I I really think um, you know, I, I wanted I wanted to throw this out there too. Our producer Jared Tootin, uh, it was his idea to to have Dan as a guest, and you know, it's like some people might be listening, going, "Well, who's this guy? What band is he in? What does he do?" And you know, much like the Sean Weingartner episode, and and the you know, I mean, kind of the Frank Meyer. Frank Meyer is in a bunch of bands, but he's also an author, et cetera, right? Right. This is similar to those by way of. Well, I mean this with respect. He's a fanboy. He's a walking rock and roll encyclopedia. That's almost enough criteria right there. Right. But the fact that there is a connection um, and that he has this channel where he'll go, you know, he has a segment on his YouTube channel where it's called I Love This Album. And he'll talk for an hour about how much he loves this. And he sings the lyrics. He, he like, touches his head. And the next thing you know, all the lyrics are coming out. He's not singing them to you. He's... He's just reading them off to you. And he's an English teacher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lots of cool stuff about this guy. Yeah, I I was just going to say, you know, one of the things we tend to do on this show is we, uh, a lot of our guests are are musicians. So uh, the conversation tends to lean towards their art and their music and that sort of thing. But every once in a while, we get someone who is much like me, who's just a fan, you know, and... uh, and they express their fandom in, in different ways. Some people have podcasts. Some people have a YouTube channel. Some people write album reviews. Um, some people have a local television show, whatever. And uh, Dan is one of those guys. And I almost get as much joy listening to just an average guy who happens to be a rock freak as I do having uh, an artist on the, on the show who's got, you know, 10 albums in my collection over there, you know? So it's really cool when we get just kind of a, a guy who, you know, might not recognize his name, but you're not going to forget him after you're introduced to him because he's just going to blow you away with his passion for rock and roll. Yeah. He, he, he does this, he does this thing where he'll do a band's entire catalog and <laughs> yeah. he, he confesses that he did, he's a huge motorhead fan and if and if our listeners, anyone out there, of course, are Motorhead fans, and of course, I know a lot of you are. Motorhead has a lot of records out, yeah. So he's he's probably trying to to fit it in at least an hour. You know, I don't know how many Motorhead records I've got a stack. You know, as long as my arm of metal uh, of Motorhead CDs and vinyl, I can imagine that it took a while. I haven't seen his episode of of uh, on his channel where he's doing that, but. Well, I have, I have, have. how long did it take him? Well, so here's the thing. And this is the beauty of Dan. So he reviewed every single motorhead record. And I don't know off the top of my head, how many albums that is either, but the segment, if I recall seeing it was somewhere in the 32 minute range. Okay. So what I'm saying here is this man is very concise. He can give you a lot of information in a very short amount of time and it all sticks. <laughs> so, and that's an art, man. I'm here to tell uh, you that's not easy to do. Well, to do Motorhead's catalog in 32 minutes flat without stuttering, 
that's some serious rock <laughs> nerd going on there. Yeah, it probably exactly. helps that he's. It probably helps that he's talking all day because he's a teacher. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, he uh, he he does that. He does catalogs, but he 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 did the broken teeth catalog. Yes, he did. Oh, so he yeah. he did a, and that seemed like it went on forever. So that was only like eight or nine records. But uh, I think the broken teeth one might be longer than the motor. <laughs> Why? How did that? Work? Maybe he's just a bigger broken teeth fan. I don't know. I don't, I don't see how that's possible. <laughs> what's up dan how you doing jason and dave how are you guys doing Good. well man yeah thanks Fantastic. for being on the show today how are right things on, in man. mexico surprisingly uh, I'm, I'm sitting in front of my window and I'm, I'm looking at clouds which is a rare thing uh, we get about in my part of mexico they say about 350 days uh of sun a year. So you were telling us about the weather in Mexico. You got some clouds right now. Um, do you think it's going to rain? It. Uh, we're in what they call the rainy season now, which means it's not like rainy season in some parts of the world where it rains every day, all day. Usually it's amazing here. The weather is, uh, the, the, the rain is almost exclusively at night. It's very rare that we have rain in the middle of the day. So it, it's possible that it'll rain uh, later today, but probably when it's dark. So you're talking your daily activities. I guess we are we are kind of throwing gas on the fire, but this has turned into a group discussion. Like you live on a cats are welcome here. That's fine. Hey, hi, kitty. Like that. Man, that's a pretty kitty. It it uh, it kind of sounds like we're talking like you live on another planet. We're not too far away. I mean, <laughs> no, uh, no, we're not. A few we're, hours. we're just uh, yeah. You you yeah. I guess uh, I, I guess in kilometers. Sorry to go metric on you guys. I guess we're yeah. only about eight hundred <laughs> kilometers apart. Maybe yeah. five hundred miles. Not are, not too are you far. in Mexico City? Where are you? I'm I'm close to Mexico City. About uh, let's say in miles, probably about fifty miles south of Mexico City. Okay, about an hour okay. by car. So okay. I I understand you you you're. I don't know if you were originally from Canada, but you started off in Canada and now you're in Mexico. I think you just said for fifth, the past 15 years, what brought you, what took you from Canada to Mexico? Uh, yeah, I've lived here. I'm from, uh, from Canada. I was born in Montreal, Quebec, French Canada, Quebecois. And, but I live most of my life in and around Toronto and, but I've lived in, uh, in Cuernavaca, Mexico, like I said, about an hour South of Mexico city. Um, for 15 years, this week was my 15 year anniversary. I think most people, if you talk to that, that they live in a different country, it's, it's usually for three reasons. One for, uh, for a job, for a career Two, probably maybe they're studying, they're doing a PhD or a master's or something. In my case, it was for a relationship. My wife, ex-wife now is Mexican. We've been together. We were together. I get it was 2001. We split about three years ago, but it's still very good. Actually, we're going out for lunch after I finish up with you guys. Excellent. Uh, but it was it was a relationship. It was love that brought me to to Cuernavaca, Mexico. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> and the the weather and the I I always tell people kind of as a joke, but kind of true that it was a relationship and it was love that brought me here. But it was weather and food that keeps me here. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the rock scene like uh, down there? Because we we have a friend Sean Weingartner who's been a guest on our show, and he he frequently flies to Mexico City for some uh, metal festivals and things of that nature that are strike me as sort of events or one of a kind or you know one off deals. But on a daily basis, is there much of a scene there? Yeah, uh, in terms of music, there there are some of my really favorite bands. In uh, you know, I'm I'm 
almost 52 years old. And I remember, you know, what it was like growing up in Toronto and there was, you know, a scene and, and I hadn't, you know, the scene, I guess, I don't know if it was that I got older or that things changed, but to me, the scene changed maybe in the, you know, late nineties, something like that. And, but, but back in Mexico, I, I feel uh, that there's a scene, the, the awesome, I mean, really, really great bands in Mexico. My favorite is this one, Cardiel. I have a giant Cardiel tattoo on my leg. Wow. I've seen them live. Uh, I think about, I think about 29 or 30 times I've seen them live. Uh, I love another band from Mexico City called The Rising Sun. They were my first concert back after the pandemic. I saw them live uh, about a month ago uh, in Mexico City. I've seen them also about 25 times live. Uh, the next night, I saw another great Mexico City band called Venom Sabathi. Uh, I also love Black Overdrive, which is a great... Uh, uh, Cardiel is kind of a, a punk um, you know, fast, aggressive, not metal at all, but very aggressive, short songs, uh, angry, you know, really cool band, Cardiel. Rising Sun is a little bit more uh, maybe psychedelic, you know, uh, rock sounding. Uh, Venom Sabathi is instrumental band, a uh, little bit of a doom stoner band. Uh, Black Overdrive, great, great band is, uh, I would say, in the, in the vein or the spirit of down. They don't sound like down, but they've Riffs, never-ending riffs Black Overdrive has. Um, I love the Bunions. That's B-U-N-Y-A-N-S. Not the Bunions <laughs> like what you get on your feet, but the Bunions <laughs> like Paul Bunyan. The Bunions is a fantastic band from Mexico City. Uh, Johnny Nasty Boots. Um, a lot of really, and I, I go to a lot of these local shows. A lot of these, these bands I've seen many, many times. I love it. Okay. Well, then sounds like there is a, a pretty thriving scene there. That's we awesome. need to do our we need to do our homework on these bands or or maybe you can send us some links and we can share them well, in, in the description because it sounds like I mean, I trust your judgment, Dan. Um you, you know, you you have uh, your YouTube channel. Tell us about your YouTube channel and and why you have you know, I call. I hope that's okay that I say this again. Super fan sounds nerdy, but welcome to the nerd fest. Yeah, yes, right. we, so, we wear that as a badge of honor on this. Yeah, show. yeah, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. So, yeah. So your YouTube channel, what? Tell us what's. I mean, I've been on there a few times. Dave's been on there a few times. What? Tell us what your YouTube channel and why. It, it's hard to sum it up because I have over a thousand videos. I think about a, a thousand. 1030 something like that views. I started the channel, believe it or not, there was a time when people didn't know what YouTube was. And that was when I started my channel. And I think at that time, I started the channel in uh, March 2006, which at that time, it wasn't called the channel. It was just that you had a YouTube account. And oh. I remember very well, people didn't know what YouTube was. They, uh, I had, you know, I would be talking to a friend or somebody and tell them about something I saw on YouTube. And they said, what is YouTube? And I had to explain what it was. Uh, and I started my channel uh, kind of for two reasons. One, that was shortly before I moved to Mexico. That was in March 2006. And back then, um, hard drive space was at a premium. The laptop that I had at that time was only had a 30. To go into total nerd mode when we're talking about gigabytes, my, I had a 30 gigabyte laptop. And there's no space to store anything on it. So um, I kind of used YouTube as a cloud before the term cloud was around. I would put videos on YouTube and, and then delete them from my life. You know, they were, they were just on YouTube. 
And kind of at the same time, I was planning on moving to Mexico. And this was also before social media. So it was a way for me to, um, you know, share videos with my family and friends back then. At the time, you, you could only share it through a, a YouTube link or Facebook and everything. So that was why I started my channel. And I started it very modestly. And it, uh, I took a video in maybe 2007 of me eating, eating tacos. And I was sending it to my, my young nephew back in Canada, uh, who was about four or five, six years old at the time, saying, oh, here's your uncle eating tacos in Mexico. And it turned out that a, um, I guess a, a local or a, maybe a national news channel put my video on their channel. And I, it, I guess went viral before people said viral. <laughs> and, um, and then it, you know, it started to, uh, people started to watch some other videos. But I think what I've kind of become, um, or, or what people like about my channel is, and Jason knows this, and maybe you too, Dave, is um, I, I do I do many many things. Like I said, over a thousand videos. But um, the merch videos, when I, I go to uh, the concerts, if if any of your listeners know or don't know, um, Mexico City has amazing bootleg merch. Uh, when you go to, and the bigger the concert, the more merch there is. There's you know, if you go to a stadium show with fifty or sixty thousand people, you know, Metallica or I've seen U2 a couple of times and the Rolling Stones and Foo Fighters and all these bands and big stands. And there are hundreds of people and it's very organized, very, you know, it, it's uh, it's not just a guy with a backpack selling some cheap, crappy T-shirts. Um, it's it's really legit. And there's everything, not just T-shirts, hats, posters, uh, keychains, coffee mugs, uh, you know, uh, uh, thermoses, things like that, pens, lighters. Uh, ashtrays, everything. So you, and, do, uh, you do know that in America, just to be clear, you do know that in America they would they would call the cops and they would oh they, yeah they shut I, that down right away. So why isn't Metallica just? I'm not. I just picked Metallica, right? Right. Their lawyers with cops and their whole the Metallica brigade come in and just set fire to all of that because, I mean, they're a brand. I mean, they're 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 a protected brand and so to, like you said hundreds of different items and bootleg you know bootleggers just on an entire city block front of the stadium sounds like a no-no and why aren't they being shut down do you have any insight uh, i guess for one you don't fuck with mexico i don't know maybe that's too simple um i don't fuck two, with I, mexico i don't i do not fuck with mexico I don't, and I've lived here for 15 years. I've learned well, some lessons. Texas used to be Mexico. That's right. Right. I respect um, that. I respect it. It is very organized. It's actually run by a union. Um, you'll see some of the some of the vendors. They actually have you know badges, lanyards, you know, saying that they're part of a union. And also, it you know it does it brings in a lot of money to the local economy. It's it's not shady. Um, I, I think now for me. And, and maybe I'm overstepping my bounds, but I think, you know, anytime you wear a shirt or a hat or, or anything that, that has a band's logo on it, you're, you're, you're helping that band. You're promoting that band. You're saying, I love this band enough that I spend money on them. And uh, to be honest, you know, when, when a lot of these American or international bands come to Mexico, Mexico and when they sell their merch, it's tremendously expensive. Yeah. Uh, for example, you know, if it's a big band like Iron Maiden, Metallica, you know, something like that. The, the, their uh, official T-shirts are, 
I would say equal to, you know, it's hard to compare Peso. money and, you know, because yeah. everything is, yeah, right, pesos and dollars. Yeah. But like, you know, an average shirt might be $25 US, which for Americans is really cheap because I, I think they're- Yeah, that's like half price. That's right, half, right. half price. That's but for theater. Mexicans, yeah, for Mexicans, that, that's, you know, I could, and I'm not kidding, I could eat for, typically, you know, you can get a good meal in Mexico for three bucks. So, you know, to spend, you know, that much money on an official t-shirt, it's expensive. And so I, I think maybe, hopefully the bands realize that, but it's funny that you mentioned that, Jason, because I just saw earlier this week, the Guns N' Roses filed some kind of a lawsuit about about uh, bootleg merchandise in the States, obviously that doesn't apply to Mexico. And it's funny because when, when I saw Guns N' Roses, they played here twice. They played two stadium shows um, when they started their reunion tour a lifetime ago, which was 2016. And I went to, to both of those shows at a big stadium with about 50, 55,000 people. And I, I was taking my, getting back to my YouTube channel, I take videos showing, you know, all these things. Because when I came here, the first concert I ever saw here was Pearl Jam in 2003, 18 years ago. And uh, they did three nights at a big 20 or 22,000 arena, capacity arena. And I'd never seen anything like this before. I, you know, coming from Toronto, you see a guy outside selling them out of, selling t-shirts out of the trunk of his car. And I was, I just thought, holy shit, look at all this stuff. And it's good. Most of it is really, really good quality. These people selling all this stuff. And I, you know, took some, uh, some pictures. So then when I, you know, during the, when the digital age came, when everybody started having digital cameras, I started kind of taking videos of it. And then they became, um, they kind of caught on. You know, a lot of when I do the big ones for Iron Maiden or Metallica, I think they end up going viral. But um, um, when I did the, the video for Guns N' Roses at, at their merch, uh, the bootleg merch tour outside the stadium in 2016, um, uh, what's her name? I think Melissa Reese, the the the, the woman that plays keyboards for Guns N' Roses and Del James, they were I, they're in my video out there looking at all the bootleg merch, and uh, also Met, uh, Metallica in the uh, you know they they did a, a concert video from Mexico City in 2000. The concerts were in 2009. They played three nights at this giant stadium, and um, and in the DVD and I guess the bonus features they 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 you know they talk about how you know. When they come to Mexico, they see all this merch and they love it. Pearl Jam in their documentary, they did a, a documentary uh, commemorating their 20 years, which is now 10 years ago. And they talk about that. Stone Gossard is talking about he's drinking coffee in his house. And he said, I got this mug at the this bootleg mug from the Mexican merch stands. And um, I saw Soundgarden at an arena here in 2013. And I ran into uh, a couple of the guys that work for Soundgarden. And they were talking on their cell phone with, I guess, some of the guys in the band saying, okay, we see in this stand, they're out there at the merch saying, describing what they see, and they're describing everything for the band. So the bands, at least the big ones, they seem to accept this bootleg merch lifestyle. So yeah, some of it, some of it's a numbers game. You start dealing with a band the size of Metallica, Guns N' Roses, or whatever, and then you factor in the cultural differences, the legal differences, the trademark uh you know, loopholes, et cetera. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably just not worth it for Metallica or Guns N' Roses to go after these guys. And, 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 you know, it's just time consuming and costs money to fight it and all that sort of thing. But I think, I thought it was interesting. So I want to go back to you. So is this basically, 
was this sort of the foundation of your YouTube channel as sort of a music outlet? You're, you were going around to these gigs and kind of highlighting the merch booths and, and some of the various offerings. Is that what kind of launched the music end of the, the YouTube channel? Musically, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my, uh, you know, with, like I said, a thousand videos, there's all kinds of stuff. I, I'm a big hiker too. I'm going hiking a good, uh, 16 mile hike. I'm going to go on Wednesday. So, you know, I, it's basically my channel is, is my life in Mexico, but a big part of that is music and, you know, showing these, uh, not, not just you know, everybody. And also I thought, you know, everybody goes to, uh, to concerts and they take videos on their, their phones now, digital yeah. cameras before of the bands playing. And, um, and I do that too, but I thought, oh, I, I want to do something different and, and show, uh, uh, what happens in Mexico outside the concert. And it's, I mean, for me, maybe I, I have a different attitude because I'm not from here. I love it, man. Even even if I don't buy anything, which I, I mean, some concerts I go to, I buy three or four shirts, but I love it. It's it's a real. It reminds me of um, as as I as we talked about in the beginning, like a sense of community. I love going to the. I always I'm always like the first one there at the concert. I love getting there. It really gets you into the spirit of the concert. Um, you know, in the years that I've lived in in Mexico, I've been back to Canada a few times and I've seen a few concerts, and they suck. Because, I mean, you, you go, I saw a Testament and Exodus there a few years ago in Toronto. I mean, the concert itself was good, but you get up, you, you, you know, you get there just as the doors are opening and you go in and you see the concert and you go home. And that's fine. The concert is fine. But in Mexico, man, I, I wake up, you know, the day of the concert, especially if it's a big one. I, I actually feel excited like I did when I was a kid. And uh, I, you know, I'll take the day off work. I'll clear my schedule. And I love getting there, you know, going and uh, seeing all the merchandise uh, running into friends, you know, talking about, Oh, are you going to this show coming up? And Oh, I saw you at this show like this. It, it's for me, it's a, a little bit of nostalgia too. In addition to, you know, buying, um, I, I, luckily I, I live in a, in a country where I can wear t-shirts 365 days a year. Yeah. You have a very limited window to wear t-shirts in Canada. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I love the, the whole spirit of it. It's not just the t-shirts. It's, it's a, it's a real, for me, a real community feeling. Yeah. And, and so as you mentioned, your, your YouTube channel has a bunch of different things. There's hiking videos and everything. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me was you do a segment called I Love This Album. And you kind of pick an album and highlight it and talk about it. And then you've also done, the, the, the first thing that puts you on my radar was when you reviewed all of the Broken Teeth records. And I thought that was awesome because Jason, I think, sent me the link and said, check this guy out. He reviewed all the Broken Teeth records. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy. So I watched it, of course, because I'm a big Broken Teeth fan myself. And I couldn't believe the... the I'm going to step out for a second while you guys talk about this. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I couldn't believe the granular, the granular levels that you went to with each CD. Like, you knew all the songs. You could recite the lyrics on cue. Uh, you you were pulling tidbits out of the liner notes like this was very thorough and in depth. So I, I, I number one I just want to applaud your uh, your your tenacity and your and your attention to detail. But number two I wanted to ask you um, which which segment like that has gotten the most feedback from your viewers or listeners? Or which one or which one has caused the most 
back and forth. Have you had, have you gotten any arguments with anybody uh, based on your reviews or have you gotten an overwhelming amount of feedback on one particular segment versus others? Talk to us about some of that. Uh, that that's a, a good question. I really, really, really try to avoid online arguments and, and bullshit. I, I appreciate comments and, and everything like that, but uh, I, I try to avoid arguments. Luckily, I guess my, my well, I, I, I reached 10,000 subscribers a few months ago. I'm over 10,000 now. Wow. But, you know, a lot of my videos only get, uh, you know, a few hundred views, maybe even a few dozen views. But the, the comments I get are overwhelmingly positive. Now, maybe that's because I'm only getting, uh, you know, uh, a couple of hundred views. If You know, the bigger something gets, the more people hate it. There's always a backlash. You know, if, if you went by just the comments, you'd think Metallica is the most hated band in the world instead of, you know, the, the biggest and most successful and in many circles, the most regarded. Um, no, the, the comments are actually very good. Uh, I started that one that, uh, I love this album. So I always have to do this series. Uh, just, that was a little bit COVID, uh, inspired. Um, just because I, you know, last year when, when, um, when this pandemic started, it was boring. Mexico never had an official shutdown, but there was nothing to do. Um, they never said you can't leave your house, but there was nothing to do. Basically, you know, in March, April, May, June last year, the only place you could go was a supermarket. That was like a big deal to go to a supermarket. So I, and I, I love to be busy. I, I feel like I'm a shark. I feel like I have to keep moving. Not that I'm going to die if I stop, but I, I like to be, uh, I like having a full plate and it doesn't take much to, to get me entertained. And there was nothing to do. So I did, um, it was on May 4th. You guys maybe remember that. No, not May 4th, May, uh, the 8th of May, the ace of spades, the 8th of May was motorhead day. Yeah. And, um, and I love motorhead. I think Jason knows I'm a, I'm a massive, a huge, uh, motorhead tattoo. I don't know if you can see here nice. on, my, on my leg, a big motorhead tattoo. And, um, you know, I don't need much motivation to talk about motorhead, but I thought I'm going to talk about motorhead's whole, uh, catalog. And so, uh, so they're the first one. And I thought, ah, you know what? I can also do this about kiss. And I can do this about, uh, I did about Faith No More and Anthrax and, uh, uh, and Broken Teeth. And then, uh, so I did all the bands that I really, really could, you know, dig into. And then I was kind of bored. And I thought, ah, maybe I can, you know, there are a lot of individual albums that I love that I, I'm maybe not big enough into the band that I could do the whole catalog, but, but I can do some albums. I did uh, the first Dangerous Toys album. Although I could have easily done the um, the full catalog, but I I am missing some of the CDs. I think they're back in Canada, so I started doing the I love this album and um, I I like doing it. I mean it's it's I'm a little bit of a talker and I get bored sometimes. So you know whenever I get a chance, I just stand. Uh, this is this is my studio behind me. I thought and, I uh, yeah. I, I just I man I just I. I guess like you guys too, we're all huge music fans. I got into, I think Jason maybe knows about this. I got uh, Kiss Alive when I was, I just turned six years old. I got it for Christmas in 1975. I got Kiss Alive. And that, um, I guess, set me on the path towards the, the music that I still love today. I, you know, I, I love, uh, I'm, a, I'm a metal fan, a rock fan. And I just, um, it's different now. You know, when I was a teenager and you know, you had all your friends and you always, you chose your friends back then based on music. The jocks in, in school hang out together and the, you know, uh, the, the 
preppies, we call them. I don't know if you call them that in, in yeah. the States, but yeah, in we, Canada, we call we them did. the preppies. And, uh, and I was, you know, a, a rocker or a stoner or a metalhead, whatever you called it. And all of my friends, we, we were all based on music. And, but as you get older, things change. And um, I, I still, man, I love music. In some ways, I like it more than ever. And I don't always have people to talk about with music. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll talk about it myself. So, so that was um, why I started doing the I Love This Album, just, just for me to, to, to talk about music. So, yeah, so, yeah. Do you, so do you think that um, we, we have a segment that we do sometimes called, you know, Shot of Rock and Roll or, or What Got You Hooked? And, and you just kind of like you just said when you were six years old, it was 1975, and Kiss Alive was brand new. And you said that was, you got that when you were six and it kind of set you on fire. And then from, the, it got you hooked and got you started. Was was it an older brother or a family member? Or you just mm. said, look, mom, I got to have this. No, my aunt, my aunt Kathy, uh, who is still alive. And I should be thankful to her. She bought it for me. She bought Kiss Alive for me. I have no idea why. I have no clue. Kiss Alive, Kathy Alive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, no, I'm, I guess I'm just pointing out that she's alive because that yeah, was a long well, time ago. Well, I'm really, really glad that she's still alive, by the way. So I am, too. And I'm yeah. very thankful that yeah. she got me into that. But uh, no, there, there was it was and I have no idea why she bought that for me. I had never heard of Kiss before that. I, I think it was the first album I ever got. My parents were into, um, you know, like, I guess, 50s, not 60s, 50s music. My, they were both Elvis fans, especially my mother, I think. But my dad liked 50s rock and roll. And he, he used to, um, I guess this was maybe later in the 70s, maybe into the 80s. He bought a nice big stereo when you guys remember when having a stereo was like a source of pride, right? You know, yeah. you would spend a lot of money on a stereo. And my dad used to sit on Sunday afternoons and, uh, and with his headphones on and, and tape things from the radio when they had these oldie shows and he used to, you know, he was very meticulous about writing things, you know, on, a, on his cassettes, on his, on his nice stereo system. But that was after I was already into music. Um, so, so Kiss Alive was, was the first for me. And then I, you know, went, you know, Destroyer. I assume I got them all in the order they came out. And then uh, I guess after Kiss was uh, the first one that I remember getting, I had a Bee Gees uh, greatest hits album, maybe in the, late 70s or something like that but i guess in terms of rock or metal i got paranoid must have been around 1980 i think that was as far as i can remember paranoid was my first non-kiss metal or rock album and um, you couldn't have, you you couldn't have done much better yeah. going from like <laughs> a start. Destroy, destroyer and like maybe rock and roll over and it, love gun kiss electric oh, oh paranoid wow yeah yeah, and at that point, Paranoid was 10 years old. Yeah. But, you know, it was new for me. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess uh, I got Van Halen, Fair Warning, I guess around 81. I got Dire of a Madman around the same time. Oh, Back in Black was all, maybe Back in Black could have been either that. I mean, I don't remember the exact timeline, but either Back in Black or Paranoid were my first non-Kiss. Um, and, you know, if, if uh, my Aunt Kathy had not bought me Kiss Alive, if she had bought me steely dan album or uh james taylor album maybe i wouldn't have you know been been attracted to black sabbath or van halen or acdc but 
uh, that was, and then, you know, later, not too, I got the number of the beast in 1982 and I got kill them all. I bought kill them all in December, 1983. And this is still like you guys, this is still, and like everybody, I think metalheads are very loyal. And this was the music that I loved when I was six years old and when I was 10 years old. And now when I'm almost 52 years old, I so still when love. you were, so when you were six years old and you, and you got kiss alive, I don't have to ask you, but I'm going to. I mean, was it was it just everything? Was it the you know the guys on the cover, the the monster makeup, the the the, the Kabuki comic book hero vibe playing rock and roll? Was it the loud music? Was it the what was it that in your young mind that made you like drink the punch? It was. Uh, if you give me just five seconds, I'll tell you what it was. Yeah, tell me. He's off to the races, folks. He's going He's to grab to props. He's bringing in his props. Here he comes. Here it is. That's this, the this is copy. The, this, this is the one. Now, if you see, it's beat to shit. Yeah, yeah I see that. Because I've had this since 1976. Yeah. yeah. But this is my. This is the oldest thing that I own. Got to talk life. in the mic, buddy. Sorry. This is this is the oldest thing that I've that I have in my life. I've, I've had this in my life since, uh, since, as I said, since Christmas, 1975, this has, it followed me to Mexico. Um, I haven't listened to the actual record of it for, for many, many years, but I mean, going back to your question, Jason, yeah. What do you, what do you think attracted me? Of yeah. course. Well, this that's why I kind of answered it for you. I was trying not to, but it's yeah. hard. You know, you see the smoke bombs and the, the blood and the fire and the yeah the whole the whole nine yards and you're like what the hell is going on I I gotta have this mom yeah and maybe money. I maybe I would have liked uh, Ted Nugent just as much or Uriah Heep or you know if I'd got something like that I I mean I did love the music I remember man just like everybody like you guys listening to this album just constantly constantly now I guess the the uh, the image was. I guess everybody would say this, and I'm sure it's true. The image was secondary, uh, but man, the, everything about it—the music, the the lyrics—I remember "Hotter Than Hell," thinking like, like, oh, maybe I don't think my mother's gonna like that. I'm listening to a song with hell in the title. <laughs> I got um, that, that was the least of her worries. <laughs> yeah, imagine now. Uh, but no, Kiss, Kiss was uh, Kiss led me on the path uh, towards. I can't say it changed my life, but it, it definitely you know, um, clearly influence and still influences the, the music that I, that I listen to today and that I'm a huge fan of today. And, um, maybe, I guess maybe did shape me as a person. There's a lot of people that we asked, you know, how, what got you hooked? What was it that, that set you on your rock and roll path? And, uh, you know, nine out of 10, I have to say, usually pick kiss alive as their, their yeah. gateway. Right. Album. Kiss, yeah, it, Kiss is the it, overwhelming champion in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost a cliche, but I mean, it's true. I know Sebastian Bach. I think he was a Kiss Alive guy. I think maybe Scott Ian and Charlie Benante. I think you, Jason. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It's amazing. I was you know, already I, I, in, I was already into a bunch of, a bunch of other things that were heavy and, you know, like I, I was into Elton John and Alice Cooper and Queen. I had a bunch of Queen records. And then the neighborhood kids turned me on to Kiss Alive, and it was a—I was just—I mean, I kept my 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 Queen and my Elton, but it was—they set me on a whole new way. As soon as had I to, had to make room on the bookcase. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> so, so Dan, uh, let me ask you this. I, I know that uh, the purpose of your your YouTube channel, especially as it relates to music, is you're obviously a fan, and and you obviously do this to sort of share your passion for the bands with an audience. And you, I, I'm guessing that you probably would prefer not to waste your time on stuff that you aren't drawn to or are attracted to. But have you ever considered doing segments on albums that you don't like, where you're actually like critiquing them? Ha, that's a good question. Uh, a good friend of mine, this guy called Kevin Montavon, uh, maybe a couple of months ago, I, I sent them, I listen to, uh, I, and I listen, I listen to music every single day. I, uh, I exercise every day. I walk about uh, five kilometers, which is three and a half miles. I did that this morning. And every single day I listen to, I go out with my music and I listen to a full album from front to back. And then during the course of a, a day, you know, I'll listen to other songs here and there. But a, a couple of months ago, I was going through uh, the whole Scorpions discography because I only got into Scorpions and Blackout in 1982. And you know, it was sometime later that I discovered that they had so much music before that, which turns out is even better than what came after 1982. Now you're now you're talking my language. I know you're a huge the, Scorpions the guy. The 70s Scorpions records are they're fucking scary. Ah, oh, like taken by force. What's oh going God. on musically is complete. It's a different band. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's I singing different. Everything. The guitar playing is different. The riffs are different. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I, I only a couple of years ago discovered Taken by Force, and I he's a woman, she's a man, and um, yeah. your light. Oh my God, what a, what a riff that is! Sales and, of uh, Quran, mm -hmm. Steam Rock Fever. Yeah, uh, yeah, Sales of Quran. Everything mm -hmm. that album is incredible. Um, but but I got up to Savage Amusement. Now I I was still a big Scorpions fan in 1988, and I saw them twice on that tour. I saw them in Toronto at Maple Leaf Gardens in September '88, and I I'd, I'd seen them a few months earlier on the Monsters of Rock tour in uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, you know, everybody knows that with Metallica and Van Halen. And um, I guess I liked it well enough at the time, Savage Amusement, but I listened to it a couple of months ago, and I sent my friend Kevin Montavon a message saying I, something like, I'm going to start a new series called I Hate This Album, or This Album Sucks, and I was going to start with Scorpion <laughs> Savage Amusement. Um, no, that, yeah, you're, you're right, Dave. I... I, I yeah, I, I try to, uh, you know, Jen, I would rather talk about things that I like than, than what I don't like. But Savage Amusement sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's easier, you know, you're using less energy to talk about things that you love than to talk about things that you hate. Right. That's yeah. why it's always a good, it's always good advice to just kind of keep, keep a positive thing going on, but have a balance of, of something. I, I think that that it would be great. I think that you'd be really good at I, I think it's a really good idea, actually, for someone like you who's uh, educated and uh, has passion um, to actually take a record that you maybe were excited about because you were a fan of the band, and then you get the record and you talk about how let down you are by way of, you know, Okay, I've listened to this front to back many times, and I'm here to say that this is terrible. And here's the reasons that I think it's terrible. And like this riff is cool, but what the hell is that? And da da da. You know, you could probably do a good yin and yang on on a record that you didn't like. Yeah, I did some a little bit when I did before I started this. I love this album series. Uh, I, I, as I mentioned, I went through some bands, their whole discographies, 
And when I did, uh, you know, Kiss has some shitty albums. As much as I love Kiss, they have some some pretty shitty albums. It's easy to um, say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Motorhead, too. I think March or Die sucks. And I, I did mention that when I went through Motorhead's entire discography. I said, I, I don't think March or Die is a very good Motorhead album at all. I, I think it sucks. Um, but for me, it's just, it's just easier to, to be excited about something and to talk about something that I really love instead of something that I don't like. But, yeah, of course, there have been many albums over the years that um were disappointing or that i you know you could say just flat out sucked um what what about the the black album what do you guys think about the black album you know because now it was 30 years ago this week that it came out in in the time that we're talking about this i i like it i like it that we have a guest on and the guest starts interviewing the host (laughs) see but see but this is cool because you you have a youtube channel and you have you you have this in you like you could totally do this this talk loud this podcast thing and actually dan i think that you should look into it um now now dave you go first black album via dan's question I probably had the same opinion as a lot of people. So, and that is that when it came out, um, as a Metallica fan, based on those first three records, I felt a little let down. It was to me, and it wasn't just the music. It was also right about that time that, well, they did the video for one on the justice for all record, but up until that point, they were fiercely independent and they just didn't cater to any of the trends or, or what was expected of a band because they were strong enough and big enough to do things on their own terms. They were signed to a major label, of course, for the distribution and the tour support and that sort of thing. But they never did the videos. Um, They rarely got airplay except by the metal DJ at midnight. Um, And they just weren't going to change their formula to get those things. And I, that was as much of the reason for me to admire them as the music. So fast forward to the black album And I see the the armor starting to crack. I see them catering to radio. I see them catering to MTV. I hear the music changing. And then, but from an artist's perspective, and some of this comes with age, the, the, the older I get and the more experience I have and the more I know musicians like Jason and others, um, I come to appreciate that as an artist, you, you don't want to stagnate. So I try to factor all those things in. So long 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 answer made short it's one of those albums that i've come back to in recent years and learned to really appreciate it for what it is um back in the day i didn't like it because now the cheerleaders liked it and the varsity quarterback liked it and that was my band and you guys aren't allowed to have my band and now they're they, the band is opening the doors and letting everybody in but as a as an album uh production wise songwriting wise uh, how solid it is from start to finish. I mean, I think there might be one throwaway track on the whole record. I've I've grown to appreciate it. That's my answer. Jason? Well, uh, I think that uh, you kind of said it all, Dave. Uh, it might be popular information that I'm not the biggest Motley Crue fan. I think that, you know, that Mick and and uh, and Nikki and Tommy can write some fucking songs. I think those guys can pretty much do anything they set out to do because they did. I don't really have much of an opinion about Vince. Um, the uh, 
Same thing happened to Motley Crue, which is why I bring that up. The exact same thing. I feel like that first record, Too Fast for Love, when it was an underground record, and at the time, no one around, no one in Texas had heard anything like that before other than maybe, you know, they were a souped-up New York Dolls. You know, they were, a, they were a heavy metal version of the Dolls or, or the Sweet or, you know, some kind of 70s over-the-top proto-metal, uh, you know, bubblegum pop with a bunch of Satan thrown in, you know, or something. <laughs> And I and I felt like holy crap, and I started playing it for all my friends. And then, uh, shout at the devil came out, and it was a little bit of the same, a little more polished. They had it together, but then something happened, and the whole world fell in love with this band, Molly Crew. I hit the exit. Yeah, I was out of there. So I could, you know, I don't want to just go give the same exact answer as uh, as Dave, but but it's kind of gonna uh, develop into that a little bit when I, you know, enter Metallica, no pun intended. The um, the stories I could tell, I've told already. I met the band on their first tour. I followed them, you know, this close. My nose is probably brown, you know. The, I, I uh, absolutely fell in love with what was going on. But, you know, Slayer, same thing. It was, you know, and what Dave was saying is exactly right, because I feel like, uh, for the most part, Metallica and Slayer were creating their own audiences. We don't need anybody else. We're in the underground. Oh, we're selling millions of... Re we're still in the underground. Yeah. Because we're doing it on our terms. Yeah. Um, you could say the same thing about like what Tool did, what Clutch did, and bands like that. They have their own uh, Primus. Same thing. They have their own thing going on. Voivod, bands like that. Whether they be progressive or thrash or whatever it is, they're they're not answering to anyone. Well, when bands like Slayer, Metallica get like these awesome managers who are managing pop bands and. Their producer produces pop bands just to get on with my answer. Things are going to change. Yeah. You're already got the clout. You're already these big bad motherfuckers. But I'm talking about Slayer and Metallica and throw in some other bands too. So by the time Injustice for All comes out and they do the one video, it's like floodgates are open. Everyone's going to love this and they're going to be like, oh my God, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. And then you'll change your mind later because you don't know, you didn't know that guitars and drums could play fast like that because you're sheltered and all you do is listen to the radio or watch MTV. See, that's a whole other demographic. If you're into underground metal, fuck the radio. You don't think about the radio because they don't play Metallica and Slayer. Right. Or Merciful Fate or Anthrax or destruction and celtic frost or what you see my point so yeah you know come on, someone who's from the underground who who's either in a thrash band or a musician who's who who does that kind of a thing and sure likes acdc and and uh, elton john and queen and kiss and what riot and whatever rock and roll right i feel like by the time the black album comes out music is about to change so drastically Talk about being ahead of the game, Metallica. Ahead of the fucking game. Um, 
So when rock and metal were about to take a nosedive, Metallica just stayed right where they were. They had yeah. radio, they had MTV, they had everything they needed to just stay right where they were. Where they were. And then guess what happened during the whole Seattle boom? Metallica stayed right they were. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, shit. Oh, they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Right along Pearl Jam. Right along Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Right along, you know. And then I think the Guns N' Roses thing is a phenomenon because of Appetite. You know, but by ninety by ninety one when when the black album came out, Appetite was kinda it's like, All right, well we got use your use your illusion coming out and everyone was like, Yeah, that's cool, a new Guns N' Roses record, yeah, where's that appetite? Give me that appetite again. Yeah. So Appetite is still this go to record for fucking everybody. Over use your illusion, I'm sorry. It's true, you know oh. it. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's easy. So you see what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, even though the Black Album is not the go-to record for hardcore Metallica fans, it was their stepping stone into the new way of when you're talking brand, business, and they had the production, they had the songwriting, they had, um, you know, they had, James had taken vocal lessons. The first time I heard the Black Album, I was on tour with Metal Church, Motorhead, Judas Priest, and Alice Cooper. Operation Rock and Roll. Correct. Uh, played in Montreal, actually. Toronto too. I didn't go to that show. Played the played, it, played the forum. Played the CNE Grandstand. In, yes, in and Toronto, played the, the CNE Grandstand. Outdoor. Yes, that's correct. And played yep. that the forum. Okay, so we played a, a place called Le Brick as well. I remember it. Okay, so we, uh, you know, I'm on the bus. It's middle of the day. Knock, 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 knock on the bus door. I'm like, what the hell? And it's John Marshall, who used to guitar tech for Kirk Hammett, right. who knows that I've known the Metallica guys since their first tour. He goes, I got a cassette. He pulls the cassette out of his pocket. You're going to want to hear this. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, uh, okay, sure, come on up. And it was John, John Marshall, right? He was playing guitar in Metal Church. We go to the back lounge of the bus. He pops it in the deck. And he goes, you're going to shit. Press this play. And it was an advance burn that he Black got album. from Kirk of the Black Album. And, you know, he's fast forwarding through. I mean, we weren't going to sit there for an hour and listen to the whole record. I was like, my jaw is on the floor. I don't think I said three words. And I was just like, oh, my God. I'm like, I'm, like, uh, I'm sure that you're not allowed to burn a copy. He's like, ah, probably not. I go, wow, that this is, this is gonna, this is gonna blow minds. This is, so, you know, I think I heard a little bit of nothing else matters. And he's like, check this out. And James Hetfield falsetto. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. James Hetfield using different places in his voice, singing. You know, had a little bit more control over his vibrato. Uh, the riffs were huge. Once again, not my go-to Metallica record. Um, now it's just it's just kind of turned into what Dave started out as. I think that overall, uh, I think that it was it was bound to happen because Metallica is one of those bands that is going to continue to to brand and uh, be there. It's a legend. It's a living legend now, right? Kind of changed the world. In the same way, I feel like when people get hooked on Motorhead 
and they learn Lemmy. Lemmy's like a was like a living legend, a living cartoon, a caricature. Uh, he was all living legend his... on two feet. You said it in uh, Never Dead. Living legend, legend on, on two, two feet. feet. Yeah, he's he, got a mind like a bear trap. He changed. He changed the world, and I think that there's a lot. There's a lot to say about about the Black Album, but then, you know, there's these hardcores that that talk shit about about the band, and they totally dog out, you know, Hetfield, and you know, the people just need to grow up and realize that Metallica had to grow up too, and they it's, had to grow up fast because of all the shit that they had been through. Yeah, so. I, it's one of those albums. I never bought it when it came out, and there's a lot of records like that that I don't have in my collection. Because, yeah, I don't uh, remember buying it either. I don't. I mean, I have it, but I don't remember buying it. It wasn't a, like a religious. It's like you know, get up, yeah. take a shower. I'm going to buy the blackout. Like right, like like the, there's, there's like, a lot like, of albums. There's a lot of albums by a lot of bands that I don't feel like I need to own because I can hear them on the radio twenty four seven. And so I don't need to add it to my collection because I'm hearing it so much. I'm burning. I'm burning out on it. But many, many years later, I'll say, I'll say, as recently as the last, you know, within the last five years, I found the Black Album on cassette at half price books for six ninety nine or something. And I looked at it and I was like, you know what? I probably should have this in my collection because now that I'm not hearing it on the radio all day every day. Um, and it is a good album. It does have good songs. I just got burned out on it. So I'm going to go ahead and buy this and add it to my collection. Cause it's, yeah, a that's, good album. That, that's one of the things I talk about a lot when I talk about these albums on, uh, when I do these, I love this album, um, is that there, there's a big difference I think between just getting tired of something and saying something sucks. I remember very, very well hearing, uh, enter Sandman for the first time. I was in a department store. It was in the, I guess around, uh, I guess back then the videos used to come out, you know, they had a lead time, right? Maybe the, the video for Enter Sandman came out in July, you know, a month that had the album. Yeah. I remember being in a department store where they used to have, you know, all the televisions on the walls. And they had, uh, in Canada, we had Much Music, which was like uh, MTV. Yeah. And uh, they were debuting. It was, the, I guess, not the world premiere, but at least the Canadian premiere of um, Enter Sandman. And I remember, if I remember correctly, I hadn't heard the song before. So the hearing, seeing the video was the first time I was also hearing it. I fucking loved it. To, to me, it, it was, and I had been a Metallica fan, as I mentioned, from the beginning. I bought Kill 'Em All in December 1983. And uh, I, I loved Enter Sandman. You know, I'm at the point now where I would, I can't remember the last time I chose to listen to Enter Sandman. <laughs> where I actually, you know, put it on, whether the CD or digital, or whatever. It's right. not a song that I would choose to hear. I mean, hopefully I, I still have the, I can still remember to say, it's not a bad song. It's a fucking awesome song. I, I'm just really tired of it. And you could say the same thing about rock and roll all night and crazy train. And can we, there, can we, can we talk about those? You just, you just hit a nerve when you mentioned the last three songs you just mentioned, what crazy train, rock and roll, rock all, and roll night, all night and inner Sandman. Let's talk about this as a group. Okay. This is one of the reasons, Dan, that you're on the show. You, you have a very, very good insight just off the top of your head on how to put things together to make you think about it. So I want to just grab, just slow you down for a second and go, think about the just those three songs for a second. It's very interesting that those songs are written perfectly. You can't change anything about those songs. And here's the deal. All three are rock and roll songs up down sideways under the hood 
standing on the roof in the basement in the attic it's they're all three rock and roll songs i don't let's don't mince words i don't care what anyone's no dude metal whatever they're rock and roll songs and when you think about the way that they're written they're very formula there's an intro there's a kid think about inner sandman think about rock and roll all night think about crazy train so crazy train and inner sandman have guitar intros and rock and roll all night has a drum intro Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just the intro. Then you've got the band. You've got some of them do a build-up, bomb, bomb, right? You know what I mean? And then you've, you've got a little build-up. Uh, Sandman builds up. Uh, uh, Rock and Roll All Night, just kind of the whole band comes in. Eventually, you got so you got intro, build-up, or band comes right in. Then you got a verse. you got a pre-chorus. you got a chorus. They do the same piece of music again. Then there's a breakdown or a solo. Then there's an outro. And that's it. It's formula rock and roll music. Now, I mean, Ozzy comes from Black Sabbath. There's no formula the way that Sabbath wrote songs. Metallica comes from... Let's just try these parts and build these parts and build these. Mo- I mean, some some Metallica songs are seven and a half minutes long. You see what I'm trying to say? It's like Mer- they they're they writing songs the same way Merciful Fate writes a song. You know, it's like ten riffs going on in a six minute tune. So maybe not Kiss. Kiss tried to write formula songs like the Beatles. You know, kind of pop yeah. pop versions, heavy metal versions of what the Beatles were doing, and but. It's very interesting how these kind of metal background bands, Metallica and Ozzy, finally come to the realization to write a song that fits that sort of natural pop uh, uh, um, sort of like a map, song map, right? Yeah. I find it very interesting. And you think about when those records came out. So you got... 75 75 yep and you've yeah. got 81 80 81 yeah. Wizard of Oz was 80 80 yep enter Sandman 91 it's 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 pretty it's pretty close you're looking at you know all uh, not quite a decade and then another decade but it doesn't matter it's like cheap trick writes the same song map you see what I'm saying so sometimes when you grow up and you learn how to write a song that's going to put you where you need to be because you're supposed to be there, that's my vote for the Black Album. You know, they still have those crazy, long, weird songs where, you know, the the songs come from a metal background where, you know, it's kind of zigzag and not exactly like a formula, right? Well, I think um, Metallica maybe more than anybody, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I actually mean it in a very positive way. I, I think especially Ride the Lightning, um, Master of Puppets, and Justice, and then you could even say going well forward to um, Death Magnetic, they had a very, very clear, the albums had a very, very clear format. Every album the, 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 of those three, uh, Ride the Lightning, Puppets, and uh, Justice, what was the first song? Very fast, thrashy, you know, heavy song. 
And then the last one, except Ride the Lightning, was a little bit different. The, you know, the last song was Damage Incorporated on Puppets and Dyer's Eve on uh, Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a little bit different. But each song, each album of those, each album of those three had not a ballad, but one that was a little bit quiet. Fade to Black, uh, Welcome Home, Sanitarium, and One, right? Mm-hmm. And each one had a long title track, which was, I think, on all three was the, yeah, it was on all three, the second track. Ride the Lightning, longer second track, title track. Mm-hmm. Master of Puppets, long second track. Mm-hmm. Justice for All, long second track. Um, very, very formulaic, but nothing wrong with that. I mean, obviously it was great because those are, for me, and I, I think maybe you guys too, those are three, uh, man, name, name a better, you know, uh, succession of three consecutive albums by any band. Um, I don't know, for me, it's pretty hard. Yeah, that's that's pretty solid. Well, you've, three in a row. You've yeah. confirmed that you've confirmed that like running order on a record is very important, and it's probably something that you've noticed in your in your videos on your YouTube channel. So, you know, um, let's talk about a little bit, and and I think that this this might be a good uh, a good way to kind of take take us out to the end of our our episode first and i'm going to say it again thanks again for joining us today it's been an awesome conversation we've all gotten to go around the room between the three of us and sort of talk about things that um you know are more are are more coming from your brain and and your your ideals uh you know uh you wrote letters to me in the 90s I, w- I wanted to ask, I-, I, wanted, I wanted listeners to know how it is that we got Dan to be on this show, because I'll, co- I'll confess, I didn't know who Dan was until a few months ago when I got the link where he was uh, reviewing all the Broken Teeth records. But there's a connection between you and Jason that I'm familiar with now, but I want our listeners to hear how you came into Jason's orbit and how you landed on the show today. So take ah, us back. Excellent question. Um... It was around the time of uh, The Artist, formerly known as Dangerous Toys. I should say I was a massive, uh, I, I hope I don't come across as fanboy here. but um, You're in the right place because that's what we are. <laughs> All right, well, here we go. Um, as, as I've mentioned, th- this was uh, you know the kind of music that I liked. And so in the mid to late 80s, I loved Guns N' Roses. I loved Faster Pussycat. Uh, I, st- I, lo- I was one of the maybe kind of rare people that loved thrash and, you know, whatever you want to call it, glam rock. You're yeah, in the metal. right place because yeah, it, I, I like them both good, equally. Yeah, right. I, I had some friends that only liked thrash and some friends that hated thrash. They only liked Aerosmith and Van Halen and Motley Crue. But I, I like both. I would say pretty equally. And so when um, I loved Bullet Boys, uh, but so when when the first Dangerous Toys record came out, I bought that. Loved it. I remember very well the first time I heard it was uh, I saw the video for uh, similar with Enter Sandman. The first time I heard it was via the video, which was uh, for Tease and Pleasing. Loved it. I on thought, much, holy on shit. Mu- this... On Much Music. It must have been on Much Music, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and I used to tape them all, too. I think like a lot of us, we used to tape you know, things on the radio. And, and I have, at back of my mother's house in Canada, I have tons of VHS videos with old metal videos and WWF wrestling and things like that. And uh, so I loved um, Tease and Pleasing, bought the record right away, loved it. Probably I, I've talked about this before. Probably my favorite album of the of that era or that 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 genre. Um, probably better than Appetite for Destruction. I love the first wow. Dangerous Toys album, wow. and then Hellacious Eight. 
Checks in the mail, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I could use that living in Mexico. Uh, and then uh, Hellacious Acres came out. Loved it. And then, unfortunately, a lot of people, not just with Dangerous Toys, but, you know, music changed around then. Uh, Hellacious Acres came out in 91, and so did uh, Nevermind, and so did 10, and so did Bad Motorfinger, and, you know, everybody it knows everything uh, 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 The Black Album. Right, yeah, yeah 91 yeah. was a, a real changing year, and but I still loved it. And then um, uh, Piss came out in 94, which I loved. And then uh, the artist formerly knows Dangerous Toys came out in 95, 96, 95, mm -hmm. I think. And I loved mm -hmm. it, too. And I, I think at that point I was feeling a little bit like a little bit like a survivor, or like a leftover, I thought. Because, you know, some of my friends that used to love that music, like a lot of people, they, they didn't really buy the records anymore or listen to it. And um, I, I guess uh, the artist formerly knows Dangerous Toys had a, a, an address on it, a mailing address. And I wrote, and I think still it's the only letter that I've ever written. I've never, when I was a kid, I never wrote to Kiss. I never wrote to, uh, you know, Dee Snyder or, or Angus Young or anybody. When I, I, was wrote a kid. To, I wrote to Twisted Sister, and I was totally bummed because I got a form letter back. That's uh, better than nothing. <laughs> it is better than nothing, but, I mean, it's like a Xerox piece of paper. It wasn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, it's you know, nothing it, it's, on a piece it, it, of paper. Yeah, but it's you know obviously very different than now. That uh, and just to, to sidetrack a little, I think it's it's kind of unfortunate that so many people view the internet as a place to just talk shit. Uh, you know, you see a band, will you know on their Facebook or Instagram, whatever, they'll post that they have a new album out or whatever, and people just say your your band has sucked for the last twenty years or something. I think it's just a waste <laughs> um, because you know it, it used to be difficult to talk to bands. The only way you could talk to bands back then was either meet them when they came to your town. Or this one time that I did it, write to them. And it's so easy now. And people, people maybe don't, uh, people abuse that, I think. But uh, so I, I wrote a letter to Jason in 95 or 96, you know, telling him, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying now, saying, man, I love your band. And I've been a fan of your band for a long time. And at this point, I was 25 or 26 years old, maybe older than the average person who's writing fan letters. But uh, fuck it. And, um, <laughs> And then, and then uh, I guess, I don't know how this was, you know, when mail was mail. And uh, so I got a letter back. I don't know if it was weeks later, a month later, months, but I got a, a letter. And I still have it, a handwritten letter from Jason, uh, you know, I guess thanking me for support and told me about some other things he was doing. I think he told me about, um, uh, I guess at that time, about sick, I guess. Were you doing sick at that time? Mm -hmm. yeah. The Kiss tribute and some yeah. other things. And then we started, um, I guess, a little bit like pen pals. We started mailing things back and forth. I remember I sent you, I had a CD single of, uh, it was the Foo Fighters' Big Me, and they did a cover of Ozone from Ace Frehley's 1978 oh, yeah. Kiss album. And you hadn't heard it. This was when it was hard to hear things. You couldn't just go yeah. on Spotify or YouTube. And uh, I sent it to you. And, uh, and I guess you taped it and sent it back to me. And um, so I guess for some years we would, you know, write occasionally back and forth and then um in the in, when the internet age came i found you on facebook and sent you a friend request and i guess you had remembered me and then since then maybe that was 2008 2009 um and then i got married when i got married here in mexico in 2011 my wife and i did you know these trash that i don't know if dave has ever seen this but um we you know these kind of trash your dress things that were kind of popular at the time where 
you, the husband and the wife, I think especially the wife goes out in your wedding clothes and you, you take photos in like, like non-traditional wedding photos. And, uh, we did one, we took, we went to like a garbage dumpster and took some pictures and, and to some places. And so we, um, and somebody did a video of that and we, we did, uh, I chose, of course I chose, um, Hell for Sale by Broken Teeth as, as the soundtrack to my, my post-wedding video. And um, we've, we've sent each other things back and forth over the years. Jason knows I go to this place called El Chopo in Mexico City, which is a, it's been going on for 40 years, a big street market in Mexico City. Hundreds of people selling uh, T-shirts and, and merch and everything. I sent Jason a cool Dangerous Toys patch some years ago. I think some pins over the years, a few T-shirts, and he sent me some... Uh, uh, I think last year you sent me the uh, Blood on the Radio broken, mm -hmm. uh, broken Teeth CD. So, uh, so that's my my history with Jason McMaster. Wow, wow, that that is really cool. And and you know, twenty five years now, twenty six years. Yeah, it's weird. Wow, that is crazy. The, full circle, then. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, cool. I think that um, you know, obviously, things have changed a lot since those days and and everyone uh i mean we're doing this i mean you know our 10 years ago or so i i, I was talking to danko jones from toronto yep uh we've had him on the show the episode hadn't aired yet but we're excited about that um uh i'm talking to danko and he mentions that he has a podcast and i'm going back in my mind i'm going what's a podcast so <laughs> Yeah. You know, uh, you, you learn a lot during a, a pandemic, you know. Uh, so this is, you know, I had to learn how to use Zoom for obviously a million things, but because now I use it all the time. Um, but, you know, things things have changed, you know, uh, sitting down and writing a letter on the back of an old flyer used to be the normal. I would write 10 letters a day to people. I have some old flyers. You've uh, you've sent me some. um uh, a few, uh, for sure. I have a, a dangerous toys flyer. There was a, a Tommy Pons drawing. Um, mm -hmm. that you would, you wrote me on the back. cool. I mean, instead of just getting a letter on a piece of paper, it was on the back of a dangerous toys flyer. And I still have all this stuff. And, uh, I'll give you a little side note about Danko Jones. He and I attended a lot of the same shows together in Toronto. Uh, we don't know each other, but it's kind of funny too in this internet age we've interacted a few times to be honest i'm not a, a fan of his music i don't dislike him i'm just i i maybe i just need to look deeper but um we, we follow a few of the same toronto pages um on social media there's one i think it's called the flyer vault where they show old you know toronto flyers and um i've commented and he's commented to me and saying uh so so danko and i we don't know each other he would never know my name if he didn't but he and I, and I guess this is the good thing about the internet that we've, um, it turns out we have, we saw Death Angel together in, in Toronto in 1987 or 1988. Yeah, he's, he's a big Death Angel guy. Me too. Mm hmm. So, so Dan, um, I, I want people to know how to find you because your, your videos are really uh, worth watching, especially if you're a fan of the Excellent. Talk Louder podcast. You're a fellow nerd like, uh, like all of us here. Because I, I kind of found myself going down a rabbit hole, and I, and I mean that in the best way possible. So if someone's looking for your channel, your name is not necessarily very unique. So how are they going to find Dan Delaney? Because I, I had to sort of flip through a number of Dan Delaney's. Is there any other keywords they can use to yeah. narrow it down to you? 
Danbowski, which um, I see it's on the screen now. I don't know if it'll show up, but yeah, Danbowski, which has been an online name of mine for, I think, since 1999. So, I, I think if you search YouTube just for Danbowski, D-A-N-B-O-W-S-K-I, like the big Lebowski, the movie, the big Danbowski, okay. um, I think think that's because I, I youtube changed their way they operate years ago. um but yeah I, I think if you search for dan Bowski, you should you should find my channel right away yeah i, w- I want people to be able to find you because it's it's good content and uh there's obviously a million delaney's if you just do a search dan delaney so dan dan Bowski. yep and I noticed your profile picture is something about don't do drugs, eat tacos or something I, like that. Uh, let me tell you a quick funny story about that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a stop sign, and it says, um, say no to drugs, say yes to tacos. That's it. And I, I found that picture. Oh. Ah, this cat. I, I, found that, I found that picture, uh, I don't know, probably shortly after I started that channel. It's been my only profile picture. I don't have the vanity to, to, to put my face on. Um, and really funny, I went to, uh, I flew to Tijuana, Mexico. It was around this time in 2019, in August 2019, to go see. I have a friend who lives in Tijuana, and um, I, I flew there. If you guys know this band, Cadaver, uh, who I also have a giant Cadaver tattoo on my other leg. And they were playing in San Diego at this venue, maybe you guys know it, called Brick by Brick. Mm-hmm. And they were playing there with a band called Truck Fighters. So I flew to, to Tijuana to go with my friend across the border to San Diego to see this concert. And um, so the, the one day I was there, my friend, my friend, Mexican, who lives in Tijuana, he had to work. So he left me to wander the streets of Tijuana by myself, which is not as nearly as dangerous or as bad or as ugly as it sounds. It was actually pretty cool. And I, uh, I was looking for some, some place to eat, and I stopped at this... Um, a little, I guess, like a restaurant, and I went in, and you know it was on the wall? Stop sign, the actual stop sign saying, say no to drugs, say yes to tacos. I, I couldn't believe it. It was like the, and I don't know if I, maybe there's more than one sign like this in the world or in Mexico, but I thought, holy shit, I came in to eat at this place just because I thought it looked like a good place to eat, and I saw this sign that I've used on my YouTube channel for 15 years, say no to drugs, say yes to tacos. Kind so of funny people, how that works. So, so people can look for that little profile icon as well when they're when they're searching for you because I want them to be able to find your content. And speaking yeah. of tattoos, before we go, I noticed you just raised your hand and you're you're the guy with the guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah look at that camera. How about that, folks? The guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. That's um, a direct taken directly from the broken teeth album the, the broken teeth the, album which, the devil which we, on the cover. we are in the middle of trying to release that on vinyl Ooh, please, you heard it first please, here please, please do um, is that is that a big process to do that well the work involved well you know there's a you know there's there's a lot of people who are just enthusiasts and you are an enthusiast this is an enthusiast who loves that record who you know He's asking me why isn't it out on vinyl, and I was like, "Well, is it a? Do you think that it would sell if it came out on vinyl? You know, when you when you decide to do a reissue of something that originally just came out on another format, and it hadn't been out on vinyl, and then the climate is asking for man, that would be cool to have on vinyl. That would be cool to have on. This was a conversation." And I was like, well, you know, I don't really know if if I want to put 
thousands of dollars because you know it's not like hey you throw a couple hundred bucks and you have it on vinyl. It's yeah. it's a few grand to press a couple of hundred copies, and then you hope that they sell. And obviously, you aren't really looking to make your money back because you're gonna give away a few to get the word out going. You know, you got to shake the tree to make fruit. You know. Um, so, you know, you hope that whoever invests in this project can, can at least get some of their money back, but it's usually not about that. So after saying all that, it's like, we don't really have the band, have the band fundage to just throw at it, to do that just overnight. So every once in a while, someone will knock on the door and go, Hey, I want to help you guys put this record or that record out on Bono. We're like, Holy shit, what a great invitation from someone who's just a fan, who is an enthusiast, who would want to do that, and sort of on their own label kind of a thing. So this is, this is how this is going to happen. So uh, that, was a, that was a great segue by... Good eye, Dave. I forgot that... Yeah, that's pretty good. I well, forgot that Dan, that Dan had the, the guilty pleasure tattoo, yep. which, which he got after... Uh, the record came out. That's actually not Dan's hand on right, the album right. cover art right, 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 from right. 2002. No, no, no. Um, right. that I was just got that, it last year. Oh, yeah, that's right. So the, uh, the, the, the Guilty Pleasure, Broken Teeth Guilty Pleasure album cover was an afterthought. It was like, well, how are we going to put the name of the album? What are we going to call the album? And, what, and where are we going to put it on the album? Well, you know... On the album cover, for those of you who are familiar, there's a, a, a devil face and, and he's got the he's holding the his fingers up as yeah, horns or something. Yeah. And he's right uh, over my shoulder for anyone. Yeah, and so he's holding his he's holding his arms up like this, who you know, and uh and the flames are kind of covering his wrists. And I'm like, Well, why don't we get rid of some of those flames and have it be on his wrist as a tattoo? That was actually and it, Oh, maybe only my one one of my good ideas uh, that everyone liked, and uh, and so my buddy Bart Willis created like because he's a tattoo artist. He did like the classic tattoo lettering, you know, that you see Sailor John kind of stuff, right? And uh, yeah, that's yeah. kind of where that comes from. Awesome. That's a classic classic tattoo font. Yeah, yes, yeah. Wow. Well, well, Dan. Thank uh, you, Dan. You, you've been awesome today. This is a great conversation. I really look forward to episodes like this when, when the guest has so much to offer and is so articulate and, and passionate as you obviously are. And again, for uh, anyone listening, check out Dan Delaney's uh, YouTube channel, Dan Bowski on YouTube. Lots of great stuff there. You'll spend hours uh, listening to Dan talk passionately and uh, about rock and roll and um, albums that he loves and uh band's whole catalogs and you'll even see some hiking videos so uh with that on behalf of jason mcmaster i'm metal dave and our very special guest dan delaney thank you for joining us today and thank you out there for listening to another episode of the talk louder podcast thanks guys